Welcome to Ready Teacher One. I'm Adam Mangana. And I'm Ryan McLaughlin. And with us today is Anarupa Gangali. She's the founder and CEO of Prisms VR. Anarupa, we are so excited to have you on today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We would love to start by just asking you a little bit about your background. I know that you were uh, a teacher and an administrator in Boston Public Schools and maybe some charter schools as well. Um, how did you get into VR and, and what excites you about VR in the classroom? Yeah, thank, thank you for, for starting with, with the origin. Um, so I was a, a student at MIT in the early 2000s. I studied electrical engineering and computer science um, and I kind of got to see firsthand how fragile understandings in math truly became the differentiator for those who were able to really joyfully and delightfully engage in post-secondary STEM and for, for those, frankly, those fragile understandings weeded them out. Um, and so I became really passionate about what's happening at the K-12 math and science level such that you know some of our most dedicated and some of our most committed students are coming into college simply unprepared. Uh, so with that initial experience, I became a high school math and physics teacher in the Boston Public Schools, and since then have served in a number of district capacities. Um, as a director of, of math in the Boston Public Schools, which is a smaller system, I had 125 schools, but then I came over to New York City uh, where I had 1,800 schools. And so what it meant to scale good teacher practice and scale curriculum had a very, very different um, implementation apparatus. And then most recently, I was at Success Academies, where I was the Dean of STEM, um, and I was tasked with building out a problem and project-based math, physics, and computer science program. And Success is known for, about, for a few things, right? One, you know, they have great teacher management systems, really strong right. data systems. Uh, you know, every, it's a one-to-one student-to-device ratio. Um, and we found that even in settings that ostensibly look like a panacea, uh, we're, we were still sending kids to, to university with huge gaps. Um, and as I looked further into that, the, I, I found that the top two predictors of post-secondary success in STEM are one, your ability to rotate 3D objects in your mind, so spatial reasoning, and two, your ability to abstract math models from physicality. Now, as, as, as experienced educators as yourselves, you know that those two skills are woefully underrepresented in our Absolutely. tools today. And so we're kind of giving kids the illusion because we're getting them past tests. Like that's actually not a very intellectually difficult thing to do. We can get them to the next test. Um, but what are those kind of enduring um, structural reasoning skills and flexibility of thought that you need to contribute to the mathematical sciences versus, re versus replicate? And so that's what really kind of was the bedrock for PRISMS is, okay, we know what great pedagogy is, where kids are moving and, 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 they're, and, they're, and, and they're manipulating their, um, these mathematical representations, mapping across them. Uh, they're experiencing situations that create intellectual need for math rather than just saying, hey, today you're going to apply linear functions to uh, this problem. Um, and so that's... I started to look into the market and say, okay, well, what sort of modality will allow this pedagogy? So I didn't come into it saying, I want to build VR. I came into it saying, I want to actualize best practice pedagogy in math. 
And um, that's kind of what we've been, what, what we've set out to do at PRISMS. I applied for a National Science Foundation SBIR phase one, we got it, and we've been off to the races since then. Uh, and we've been building our first algebra learning platform using immersive virtual reality and AI driven data methods. That's so tremendous. You know, um, one of the things that you say on your website that I absolutely love, and it goes right in line with what you were just saying, is that you are making pedagogies that we know work best possible in the math classroom for the first time. And I think, you know, that really struck me as a, as a former math teacher myself, that you are saying to the math teachers like, hey, you know, experiential education, constructivism, what have you, these pedagogies that have been working for 100 years in science and history and English, they're no longer off limits to math teachers, right? Right. But I, but I wonder, you know, there are a lot of math teachers that have kind of, you know, heard this line before of saying like, hey, you know, uh, ed tech, it's, it's here for you. And, and then we try it in the classroom and it, it's not really a solve. What do you say to a math teacher that maybe asks you, well, why is it different this time with immersive VR technologies? It's a great question. I did a session at the teachers development group last <coughs> week with math teachers across the country. And one of the things that came up was that this was the first time that when I said the pedagogies were aligned with the student behaviors that we know lead to understanding, that was actually the case, right? If you look at what's on the market today, I don't know, I didn't have any tools where students are actually using movement and organized movement, gesticulation to make sense of mathematical phenomenon. Um, I, I haven't experienced anything where you are, you know, immersed in a real world problem and the mathematics falls out of that experience versus, you know, this more contrived, we've made so many assumptions that we've kind of lost the, the real kind of purpose of math in this case. And the, uh, the other thing, um, so that's, that's more on the kind of the, the pedagogy side. The other thing I'll say is that the teacher experience for emerging technologies in education has, has often really kind of been an afterthought, right? So people will build the product, but no one quite thinks about what are the mechanics from minute one to minute 50 of an instructional episode? What is the teacher doing? So what does it take to take out those carts of headsets open up the teacher dashboard, be able to monitor student progress using high impact data. Um, how, you know, a teacher in a 50 minute instructional episode, she can only get her on to four or five students. So that means the hint architecture has to be supportive for the remaining, you know, 90% of students. So there's so many things that have to happen on both a product level, as well as a training level to make sure that the teacher experience is feasible it's within the, the realm of, of the common planning time that they have, the, 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 the individual planning that they have. But I found that it's like, not a lot of work was done with these. Some of these, some of these ed tech tools were great, but it was like, we're gonna build it and then figure out the teacher PD, but we're doing, we're co-designing everything at the same time. So teacher PD and teacher tools are actually done. My VR product isn't even done yet, but our whole implementation apparatus is done because we thought about implementation first um, and then made sure that that our product features were in line with what we knew is required on the district implementation side. Have you looked at um, LMSs or learning management systems that um, kind of optimize VR? Is there are there any that stand out that that lead the pack in in your mind? Great question. So we're starting our journey with the LTI um, Advantage, 
And so it's just something that we're going to be able to speak to more in about a week. But I think that you're, you're, you're 100% right. How our formative assessment structure and data system ties in with existing data systems is huge because we don't want, okay, on these four standards, our dashboard is telling teachers how, how kids did, but then that is divorced from. Exactly. So that, that's something that we're working on right now. I can't speak to it in, in its entirety because it's not complete yet, sure. but what I, what I can say, it's a priority. Have you shopped a couple of different ones or are you just focused on LTI? Are you thinking that that would be the best model so far? Yeah, I think LTI has been most pressure tested. And, um, you know, for SSO, we're, we're, we're looking at Clever. There's Moodle. There's, there's so many out sure. there. Um, and so this is something that I think I might kind of write a piece on. And so stay tuned as, as we really do our research and figure out what it's going to take to integrate into school systems. That's awesome. So, so one of the exciting things, too, is from a timing perspective, there's a lot of funding out there for um, these experiences to, to be remote, right? And VR lends itself to tremendous um, ability to connect. And, and I'm really interested in kind of social VR, right? Having, being able to experience math together. Have you yeah. looked at any of the platforms like Engage or um, Altspace or other places where people can consume algebra instruction as in community? Yeah. I love that you said that because I think that that's also been something that's been underutilized in a lot of ed tech tools. It becomes it becomes like a solo, uh, a personal journey. Personalized has become synonymous with individual. Right. And um, right now our beta is single player, but our NSF phase two R&D is dedicated to two things. One, building in multiplayer. So students are working in groups of two to three and they're working, they're creating their graphs and their tables like, hey, how did you do yours? You can send each other your um, uh, your work. You can kind of communicate with each other. Uh, you can also, to your point, if you're at home, you can do it remotely with, um, with, a, with a friend or a peer. The other really important thing is that during moments of struggle, when you are immersed and you have your headset on, it's very easy for a teacher to say, ah, I just got to get you out of there. I got I have to quickly remediate some stuff and put you back in just just because that's how conferencing has generally worked in the classroom. So we've been working on uh, and testing quite a lot of teacher input mechanisms that kind of come via the, the students watch. So, you know, the teacher's watching. She knows that she student first put in a linear, got confused, went back to the 3D bar graph. Put in a quadratic still is 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 confused so the teacher can input a message via the watch rather than kind of taking a child out this isn't exactly connected to the question that you asked but but what i'm trying to say here is that there are so many ways in which students can communicate in vr communicate their thinking and so we've been thinking a lot about what those what those communication channels are including with the teacher sure. Um, for 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 our mo, mo, more technical folks on the call, um, it looks from from uh, from my lens that you guys have chosen to develop mostly in Unity. Did you guys think about Unreal versus Unity? What the trade-offs might be? Are you you know how did you decide to go with Unity as a platform to develop in? 
Yeah, I, I just think that the, the the unity architecture is there. There's just so many affordances. Affordances like we're trying to. We of course are building on on some unity toolkits, um, as well as trying to build as much as we can in house for that level of flexibility um, and control. But uh, you know, I, I I feel like just the 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 transferability of the architecture that we're building in Unity to any headset, any future platform is 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 just kind of unequivocal. Um, and my development team has they've been really excited about the opportunities there. That's yeah. tremendous. Anurupa, you guys have a, an app that's in beta right now, uh, based around doing math uh, with regards to pandemics. And I had the chance to try it out last night. Um, it's tremendous. I'm so excited for your vision. Will you tell us a little bit more about how you decided to go with that scenario? What sort of uh, math skills you're targeting and what your vision is for the future of the app? Absolutely. So we started with Algebra 1 because through our NSF customer discovery, we spoke to 150 superintendents. I initially had the vision of starting with physics because that's where I just saw this huge gap in, in high school. But my superintendent looked at me and said, unless you can fix the algebra problem, no, we cannot, we don't have a pipeline to physics and chemistry. So to your so it's it's your point around you know we, we we talked about this before. There's a lot of science apps out there, but you really can't do the physical science as well without um, a, a more um, robust foundation in algebra. So that's why we started there. Uh, we started with um, exponential functions because I found that we had children and students who were kind of passively watching this pandemic kind of go by, sitting at home. I had students say, you know, Ms. Gongli, I'm reading the New York Times, I'm watching videos, but it was, again, it was like this abstraction. It was this thing that was outside of their bodies. Um, and so we wanted to really give students as well as educators a, a way to talk about the pandemic that wasn't just rooted in kind of our emotional responses um, and really with, with the facts and, 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 and how to make decisions about individual and collective public health using mathematical tools that you have. Right, there's this notion that you need these like really kind of high level math skills to be a citizen of the world with math and that that's absolutely not the case. Um, so that's kind of context of both the, the topic as well as the subject matter. Um, and then the only other detail I would add is that we really kind of use this first module to test our pedagogy, which is that you experience a phenomenon without being told what mathematics you're about to learn. So you build physical associations with that structure. So it, as you kind of see like, oh, she went over there and it immediately spread to five people. Interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, he, she, but it all got started because he touched her hand. So you get this sense of human behaviors that led to that mathematical pattern, but you kind of leave it there. Then you go into this, this high tech um, lab and we help you kind of move up layers of abstraction. So you go from your body to the physical simulation and you get to kind of see different containment protocols you then we take away one dimension and we take you to tables and graphs and then we take away the last dimension and we take you to a 1d equation but by the time you get to that y is equal to 5 to the x that there's so much meaning of that of that number five you right. saw one person spread it to five people in the module one and then you got to kind of see it play out in all these representations so this is really kind of enacting that we've been talking about multiple representations for so long i think vr just does a fabulous job of of allowing us to connect seamlessly and to your question around what next we'll be building out the full algebra course we pressure tested this quite um 
uh, a lot with students in New York, Boston, uh, uh, Florida, Lee County in Florida, Oklahoma, California. Um, and we'll be building out the, la the next four modules in a traditional Algebra 1 course, so that's linear functions, quadratics, systems of equations, and statistics, and that full course we will be launching to schools um, as well as parents in September. That's very exciting. Tremendous. Tremendous. I'm, I've spent quite a bit of time in Lee County, Fort Myers area there, down there. Yeah, yeah. we we yeah. did we did a lot of our testing uh, with Dunbar High School. Do you do you, do you know them? Uh, yeah, I have taken students to math competitions at Dunbar High School. Actually, yeah, I yeah. know them well. Yeah, they're incredible. They have an incredible um, education technology leader uh, called uh, not called. Her name is Denise Spence, um, and she's just been a huge advocate and and someone that really gets it. Oh, that's wonderful. One question that I have for you is, uh, you know, we've had a few guests on um, and we've kind of debated back and forth the pros and cons of, you know, an immersive VR experience versus uh, an augmented reality experience versus uh, a mixed reality experience. And as these kind of, as these different technologies sort of emerge and compete for attention within the ed tech space, um, why did you guys opt for immersive VR rather than AR or any of the other options on the table? Mm -hmm. I think that there was a, a really kind of powerful moment when students put the headset on and they truly disconnected from their reality. Um, yeah. I think that has been underestimated in terms of the power of a student really moving away from their physical classroom and going into a problem with their full sensory, with all their senses, their perception, their visuals, of course, their movement, um, so touch. And what that allowed students to do is just focus just entirely on the problem at hand. And what's interesting is that VR historically has been seen as a, as a, as a distracting medium. So there's so much going on that we can't really get kids to learn. So Dr. Rich Mayer, who's just been a, a key knowledge base for us, he's kind of studied the impact of VR on cognition for decades. And he always told me, Anarupa, you know, we know how to get biometrics up. We know how to get kids delighted and engaged. What we don't know how to do is to get kids to really learn and for there to be transfer of learning. And so what I've found is that type of productive struggle that we got because there was nothing else but the tools and the problem and the mission, um, it just really, really helped students who've historically underperformed um, to not feel shameful, to kind of get that space away from, from physical spaces that have, again, that are just connected and correlated to, to failure in the past. They got to really disconnect and, and like, start a new chapter with algebra learning, if that makes sense. There was one student we had, we tested with, um, he took the pretest, he had taken algebra one and two. This was, this was, this was a student at KIPP um, in Massachusetts and um, took him like 25 minutes to do the pretest, got a 25%. Um, and then he went through our modules. He did the post-test in like four minutes and he looks at us in kind of deadpan and goes like, that's it? Like that's all it took to understand exponential functions. 
And as we probe to more, I think, you know, it goes back to what you asked, which was like what allowed him to like so quickly and expediently learn. And it's because he was able to just kind of really be immersed in the problem, really have an emotional attachment that doesn't come when you're looking at all these other items that are in your everyday. Um, and, you know, use all these variety of these kinesthetic and tactile tools uh, to make sense of problems on your own on your own accord. One of the most exciting elements of what you are offering is this idea of having this meaningful learning experience happen more efficiently, right? That, that students can learn skills and perspectives um, quicker, more quickly than uh, in a more traditional setting. Do you yeah. imagine if a school were to, to kind of start from first principles and build out an entire VR experience that is school, do you imagine that that the mechanics of the day would be shorter? Do you think that the the you know we would finally break the kind of um, you know Carnegie unit model and be able to have kids learning much more efficiently? I do, and this is what I intend to prove. So WestEd is doing our classroom feasibility fall, uh, study in fall 2021, and our RCT study spring 2022. And this is exactly what I intend to publish, is that the, the type of efficiency that we are going to achieve by teaching to the right modality is gonna open up so much time. I mean, I, I mentioned to you those two modules. One was, the first module is 20 minutes, and the second module is 35 minutes. And in that 55 minutes, the amount of learning that kids had, the exponential functions unit, generally in a traditional algebra class, is like six weeks long. And by the way, we're remediating over and over and over again when we come back to it in the spring. Yeah. And so the types of sticky associations, the types of physical um, association that kids are making, I can't tell you with empiricism as of yet because we haven't tested it yet, so stay tuned. But I, I conjecture we're gonna see huge, huge, huge efficiencies, which will open up um, the day, open up much more of the academic calendar for project-based learning, internships, and other things that we can't do right now because so much time goes into standards-based learning. That's tremendous. Another thing that we've kind of talked to a lot of our guests about is um, the potential for VR to increase equity in the school systems and democratize education. I wonder if that's been on your mind as you've kind of gone forward with projects at PRISMS and um, what do you guys have to contribute to that conversation? Absolutely. We've largely only tested in Title I schools and Title I districts. Um, I've kind of had an allergy to the way that people have talked about equity for a long time because students, from what I saw, uh, students were basically half their humanities are shut out at the door. And then we tell them you're underperforming. So I think our goal is just to open up humane representations of thought. And once students can, you have all these different ways to express their thinking, to express and refine their rough draft thinking, I think that the whole conversation about equity is gonna be a different one because it's no longer going to be about pulling those kids up because those kids are now going to have all these other affordances to, um, to kind of experience their learning and to grow. So I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I got into this work to close the opportunity gap. Um, I don't say close the achievement gap because I really believe if you close the opportunity gap, we're not going to have the achievement issues that we do. Um, and so, yes, this is also one of the reasons why we're going to schools and not direct to parents only 
I think that that would lead to kind of a greater gap, especially given the digital divide. Um, and so really kind of being able to use the, the recent COVID relief bills, schools are getting about $130 billion about, and 26% and of that is earmarked for um, software and, and hardware solutions. And so if we can be strategic in helping schools um, you know, make the hardware adoptions they need to this year using the money that you know, is pretty unprecedented in the public system, for sure. Um, I think that there's a powerful opportunity to, to, to close these gaps. It's tremendous. You know, I, I think one of the things that, that, um, that I have learned in the last four years of working in virtual reality is that I, I use the term quarterbacks matter. You know, the, the, the woman that you referenced at Dunbar High School, right? The, the person who is setting the vision and not just the clouds, but the dirt too, right? Like the person who's managing the day-to-day -day of the experiencing and leveraging the technology and innovating around how the technology is used is really critical. How do you see partnering with educators to provide, provide professional development? You talked at the front end of this conversation around teaching teachers to teach in virtual reality and that being a different way of thinking about that. that there seems to be some challenges with doing this at scale. What are some ways that you've thought about solving that kind of big audacious problem of getting teachers spun up to teach in the metaverse? <laughs> Asked by Ready Teacher One <laughs> podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, it's a great question. The reason I pause is because I think that the professional development, and, and, in, and in Boston and New York, that's all I did. I was in, you know, I just, I PD'd and PD'd and PD'd till I was, I was blue in the face. I loved every minute of it, but it was highly inefficient because the PD just had, we hadn't really figured out what are we trying to PD them against? What is the goal? What are the tools that they have to make this as efficient and seamless as possible? So what I've learned in all, because I had to, to pilot this very quickly in the time of COVID across KIPP and New York City DOE, and I tested across tons of systems, and I went in there with so much trepidation about the teacher PD, and it was seamless for them because it was so easy. The headset is now very easy to use. You put it in, put it on. You go to, uh, you know your uh, your your apps and you click on it and you and you start. The scope and sequences that we've built out for teachers, it's so clear on. Hey, day one, day two are the VR experiences, and then here are all the conceptual, offline, and procedural uh, activities that you would traditionally see in your courses. We're giving these to you, but if you want to use your own curriculum, you totally can. It's very easy to map to one-to-one. -one. It's not going to take them a long time to go to Engage New York or whatever they use to do that integration. Um, and then the, the big change that you kind of talk about is how they use the data dashboard in the moment. I would say that's like the biggest kind of um, change from their day to day because a lot of the ed tech tools, that's just not what they'll kind of have kids work on it. But the role of how you're monitoring, using the numbers, providing feedback. And I think that what we found in early co-design of the teacher dashboard is that teachers didn't really have the right data. They had performance data. They knew that kids got questioned too wrong. Now, teachers had paralysis, but that was less about PD or the teacher and more about the tool itself. If, you, if the teacher knew that they first tried a linear and then they tried a quadratic and they went, took the writing tool and they went back to the table and they were trying to annotate their table again, that's a really easy thing for a teacher to respond to because that, that's, a, that's a very common classroom occurrence. So what I found is that Effective teacher PD and implementation requires the right data that you're collecting and a really easy to use 
um, system, read the data, as well as really easy to use implementation guides and curriculum. And as somebody who was writing curriculum for the last like six years, I've kind of gotten a sense of what is super easy to digest for teachers. And I'm trying to really keep them a part of every co-design process we have as we build this out. Very smart. Anarupa, we like to end the show with a uh, more lighthearted segment that we call the Furious Five. It's just okay. gonna be five rapid fire questions that don't necessarily have anything to do with what we've been talking about today. They're just kind of more fun, get to know you sort of questions. Um, I would like to start off by just asking you, what is the best movie or TV show that you have watched recently? Recently? Um, I loved Minari. Have you seen it yet? I haven't, no. It was a beautiful portrayal of the immigrant experience and it's it just felt more relevant than ever. Fantastic, fantastic. What's the best meal that you've eaten recently? Oh my gosh, so I just moved to San Francisco for, for a few months and uh, there's this amazing Turkish Lebanese place called Ottoman Eats. Okay. And something we miss in New York, which is just really fresh food that, at affordable prices. Sure. So um, anybody in the Bay Area, Ottoman Eats is a, is a must check out. Good to know, good to know. What is your favorite book that you have ever read? Oh gosh, that's a really tough one. Um, I really enjoyed Educated. I read that recently. Um, that that was a good one. And you know, to be quite frank, I've I, I haven't read a lot of books recently. I, I read a lot of articles and nonfiction, and it's sad. I, I stopped reading fiction a long, long time ago. And someone had told me, like, when you turn thirty-five, you're going to start reading fiction again because you're going to need something to lighten your soul. So talk to me in a few weeks. I, I think I would have picked up um, some good books. Oh, that's hilarious because I actually turned 35 in December and the first book that I reached for was a good novel. So I wonder <laughs> if there's some truth to that. Um, <laughs> so who is somebody that you follow on social media that you think that all of our listeners should stop what they're doing right now and go follow? You can be on any platform. So I'm, I, I'm, I, I don't spend as much time on social media um, as, as I wish I would. But I think an inspiration for me has always been Dan Meyer. Um, I think he thinks about what we're doing without the VR um, in a really thoughtful way. We had him on the podcast. We had him on season one. We love Dan. We're big yeah. Dan fans here. Yeah. And I, and I think that, um, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously really famous but i say him I, I name him again because i think he was just one of the early pioneers of what it means to invite students into mathematics um without all these preconceived notions that kids often have to come into math problems with so I, he there are a lot of people but he continues to be somebody that is a lighthouse for the for the field he's tremendous and i think that desmos um does so much of what you have talked about in terms of the UX for teachers and students, right? Um, yeah, yeah. They're, they're absolutely tremendous. Um, yeah. Last question for the Furious Five, uh, we like to call the contrarian question, and it's really Adam's question, so I always hand the mic over to him for this one. And Arupa, what do you know to be true about VR instruction that other uh, ed technologists might disagree with you on? People are going to disagree with my furious contention that, and I love Desmos, I love Eli, I love Dan, so I'll kind of preface that. For sure. Um, 
my contention that we are not going to be able to close. 67% of kids in the U.S. are not proficient in algebra. And we've put billions of dollars into this problem in, over the past 10 years. So my contention is that we are not going to be able to solve this problem using existing computer software. We need tactile, kinesthetic, IVR experiences. It's not a nice to have. It's going to become a mainstay of K-12. I am very passionate about this. We don't need to kind of go into more detail, but um, and I, I'm, I intend to prove that out because I've, I've just seen way too many, I don't want to name specific computer software because that's not what the show's about, but I've seen district make huge investments and really believing that that would solve their problem, but they didn't look at the underlying pedagogy. They didn't look at the underlying, what are kids thinking, doing, remembering, um, and that's what we're, we're really after at PRISMS. So I hope that wasn't too forceful. Um, no, but I, we loved it. I mean, that's the reason why we that that's the reason why Ready Teacher One was born because we found that no one was paying attention to immersive technology as a tool to make learning more efficient. That's it. And we are so aligned and so excited to have you. We are so grateful for uh, your time today. You've been incredibly yeah. generous, and we want to do anything we can to help. So, for our listeners who are excited about partnering with you if there are districts that might want to be part of beta how can um you know a principal or a school leader how can we get involved in 2021 shopping or testing or giving feedback maybe apk whatever whatever you know we have some technical folks listening how could we access the algebra one course this fall absolutely so we're up on oculus app lab uh, we've put our beta up there. We welcome feedback. We want parents, teachers, kids, professors, everybody to get in there um, and give us feedback because that's informing our full algebra rollout. Uh, we're going to be launching to 20 pilot districts in the fall. We are still, we still have some openings. So if you're a district leader and you want to pilot this fall, uh, please, please, please email me. Uh, you can join our newsletter um, via our website. You can also email me, anurupa at prismsvr.com. Um, we we are just in a place where we welcome um, all feedback because we want to make sure that this first launch is powerful, effective, because we can't have any more VR learning that is engaging but doesn't deliver results. We've had that for some time and it's kind of given VR just not the best name. So I'm just like maniacal about making sure that this is as, as effective a, a solution as possible and we can't do that without feedback. So um, that's that's top of mind. But uh, the other thing I wanted to say is I am raising funds so that all of our pilot districts in year one that are taking this huge leap with us and joining us as co-design partners, um, they don't have to make a, a huge investment in the hardware. So we will be um, subsidizing hardware costs for all pilot districts in year one. That is incredible. That is incredible. So uh, we are just so grateful for your time today. We are. Um, Thank Ryan, you. Where can where can folks follow you on social media? So uh, we're at Prisms of Reality. Um, we we are up on um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. 
please, again, we also have a dis we have our Discord server, so all things like bugs and bug testing and um, and feedback on interaction design, please, please, please leave us leave on our on, on our Discord server. Everything is on our website, so you'll find all of our our media handles um, and and feedback channels. My email address is all up there. Uh, we we want to hear from people, and we want collaborate. We want to meet all of our collaborators. That's tremendous. Thank you so much, Anarupa. This has been tremendous. We've enjoyed it. Uh, you've got a couple of fans in Adam and I. We're rooting for prisms. We can't wait Thank to see you. what you do in the future. And uh, we hope to have you back on the podcast sometime soon to talk more. Fabulous. We need, we need to talk about LMS integration. Yes. So that's something. Nobody solved that one yet. That's a big, audacious million-dollar problem to solve. Speaking <laughs> of UX problems too, right? Goodness. Yeah. It is, and that's going to be that should be a whole other conversation because we're kind of doing all the research now. But I've I've penned it down. We've looked, at, we've looked at Schoology and Canvas. Um, I haven't looked deeply at LTI. Do you think L, you just feel good about LTI? You were comfortable with it at success? And, and yeah, I mean, it's 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 just you know, LTI is essentially a set of, of protocols, right? It to be, to be interoperable. So with with LMSs and so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I will I'll ping you offline. We are just this has been tremendous. Mm -hmm.